Welcome to Unprepared DMs. I'm your one half of your host, Robert, at AlphaNova95. I'm Richie at SolarSpartan88. Today we are joined here with uh, GM Ben, also known as at NeverNotDM. Let's go ahead and pull him in real quick. Hey, can you hear us? Hi, give me one second. I think I've got to change my settings. No problem. Take your time. But yes, I can hear you. Absolutely um, awesome. Happy to have you here. I'm yeah, excited to be to here. Where is my... Can you all hear me all right? Yeah, we can hear you. Yeah. All right. I just want to make sure it's using my appropriate mic. <laughs> all right. I go through that every time I do this. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Okay, it's using the right microphone. Yep, okay, it's good. It's using All the right, right microphone. Awesome, you know, it sounds, it sounds good. So, once again, thank you for being on this podcast. We're super excited to have you here. Thank you. I'm excited to be here. Um, so, I've been following your content on Twitter for almost two months now, and you make some pretty cool subclasses. What made you want to start going about doing subclasses that are custom? So I've always loved just tinkering and making making different things. I think it really started when I was first starting to play D&D and one of my friends brought a homebrewed subclass that they wanted to play um, to the table. And our DM was like, no, no, I don't think that's balanced. You know, you can just play one of the official ones. And I was like, well, what if it was balanced? What if I could make it playable you know what if it's less about being overpowered and more about creating a new option for the game and so that's kind of where i got my start with homebrewing um i was doing a cross-country road trip with my dad three days i was helping him move and um just sitting in the hall i started thinking about custom subclasses and that was when i made like my first custom subclasses was just brainstorming there and then i started learning how to use a gm binder and i just started putting all this stuff together and you know that's when i first started making subclasses yeah you make you make some pretty crazy subclasses and they're all very cool to use and um i'm excited for the artifice one you said you're gonna be releasing because i have an artificer in my party that i dm Definitely an option I want to present to him because it sounds cool. Yeah, yeah. Um, that one, I think I just got the cover from the artist yesterday. I haven't checked my email. It was my birthday yesterday. So oh, happy I was... belated birthday. Oh, Thank you. Birthday. So I was, was pretty busy, but the artist just sent me an email. He's been working really hard on the final uh, art for the cover. Um, and then basically after that, it's just going to be some slight formatting stuff. I already have the content for that subclass made. So hopefully that will be out probably next week. Uh, is oh, my that's plan. awesome. Yeah, I'm really excited. Uh, I've had it play tested a, a several times, Artificer Grenadier, and people have loved it. I mean, it's pretty fun to just like throw grenades at people. And with this class, <laughs> you get a grenade launcher and like there's a bunch of fun stuff you could do. Yeah, it's wow, this cool. is yeah. I, I was looking at the things that you have planned coming out, and they just all seem pretty pretty cool. So <laughs> I'm excited to see what what they are and how like how you balanced them out. Uh, with also saying that, did you start off as a, I know you played as a player as what you mentioned, but did you always want to be a DM or did you kind of get forced into it? 
I actually, from the moment I sat down at the table and played the first session, I was like, I want to be a DM. This is what I want to do. I, I love creating worlds. I've always loved creating worlds ever since I was very little and fantasy and writing and D&D combines a lot of what I feel like are my strengths as a writer. Um, <laughs> I am very bad at dialogue. So I've tried to write books and, you know, stuff like that. <laughs> always bad at dialogue. That's just not something I'm particularly great at. And so when I can create a world, create a universe, do the stuff that I love, which is the world building, <laughs> and then tell the story with the players who do most of the dialogue, you know, it, it really creates a place where I'm really happy as yeah. a per as a person and as a creator to be able to both do the thing I love, which is world build, avoid the thing I don't like, which is write dialogue, yeah. but then also tell a story in a collaborative way because the story never goes the way that you expect. The players always twist and turn it. Um, oh, and yeah. so I, I like the chaos of being the DM. Uh, I like being pulled in a thousand different directions. I like the like 18 pages of notes, three monster manuals open up on my desk. Uh, you know, that kind of thing. You, you're hitting home for me right now. I, <laughs> I, I just recently said I'm DMing my first campaign right now. And I am not going to write in dialogue as, at all. Um, and the world building aspect of it was interesting to me. And like you said, the players always throw it. You think they're going to go left, they go right. So it's, it's awesome. And it, it helps, you know. I like what what I like about DM is that it gives you all the creative creative freedom you you ever could need, and it's it's just something I love to do. Oh yeah, I'm I'm in love with DMing. I've really really enjoyed it. Uh, I'm actually just wrapping up. I've been playing my my first homebrewed world that I made. Uh, we are going to be wrapping up the campaign probably at the end of this month, beginning of next month. It's just about over. They've gone from level three, they're level nine. Now they're about to be level 10 and it's going to be the final, final uh, arc for them. So I'm really excited to like actually end the D and D campaign. Yeah. Um, I've finished Lost Minds of Fandelver as a player. I finished Waterdeep Dragon Heist as a player. Um, and as a DM, I have finished uh, Curse of Strahd. Um, okay. First okay. campaign I ever did. I I enjoyed it. Um, my players and I, at the end, we we thought Curse of Strahd was fine. Like, it was good. It's a, it's a great module. It's yeah. a little too grim dark for me, which is saying a lot when I'm the kind of person that, like, when I was advertising my campaign to my players, I'm like, this is game. This is going to be, you know, Game of Thrones. This isn't Dark Souls, this, <laughs> but it isn't Pokemon either. You yeah, know? this is kind of the happy middle. <laughs> happy middle, which for me is Game of Thrones. And when I'm like, as a person who loves dark fantasy, I was like, this was a little too grim dark for me. It was, it was just a little too grim dark. Yeah, yeah, I feel that. Definitely. Um, I, 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 I've actually done the uh, Minds of Fandelver before, which is one me and Alpha over here. We did that together a few months ago. It was pretty interesting. We didn't go fully through it. But uh, so going a little bit back to uh, world creation, what do you have like a favorite like idea you like to generate, like go to gravitate towards or? Like, what do you like to do mostly when you do that? So for world building, I'd say my personal favorite thing in world building is religion. 
I'm okay. so I went to Catholic school for nine years. Um, my parents yeah. are quite religious. I am not anymore, but mm -hmm. religion definitely really shaped me as a kid. I mean, I was in church three times a week, at least as a kid growing up. <laughs> yeah. So a lot of that idea of religion and its importance and its value, I carry into all of my worlds. And that's one thing that I think is a great strength in my world building is that I know how to make realistic religions and religions that aren't just good or bad. They're not just, we're going to worship satanic devil cult and we like to murder people for fun. <laughs> yeah. And they're yeah. not just like, we worship the God of light and justice and therefore we do good things. Mm -hmm. I like to create religions that are complex, that are nuanced, that have okay. flaws. Because I think, at least for me personally, all real world religions are like that. There are good parts and bad parts and all of them. You know, Absolutely. I was raised as a Catholic. Um, and I think the Catholic Church does a lot of great things in the world. And I really respect for how through the dark Middle Ages, the Catholic Church basically kept Europe from falling apart. Yeah. But I also yeah. acknowledge that like, you know, I don't agree with a lot of the stuff that they do. So I want to create religions like that, that I feel like are nuanced and complicated and have good and bad parts um, and force players to like come to reckonings with the faiths that their characters profess. You know, for me, clerics, yeah. it's not just like my God is just like the God and it has yeah. all the power. I want them to have to understand, you know, their God isn't perfect. Um, so that's something I really like. That's probably my favorite part of world building is creating religions because from that, you know, religion shapes the culture. You can shape the yeah. world. Um, so that's Absolutely. usually where I, where I, my favorite part. Yeah. yeah. I think like with all the, all the different religions, like it, you can uh, have a, any path you want to go. Mm -hmm. That Yeah. That's, that's very interesting because I'm not going to lie to you when I, I'm like I said, I'm DMing for the first time. I'm doing a homebrew thing as well. I after seeing speaking to you about that and seeing other DMs, I have not thought about religion at all yet, <laughs> to be honest. So it's, it's time for me to start thinking of other stuff besides the big bad's backstory and everyone else's backstories and how they all integrate. So uh, it's definitely stuff I need to learn as a DM, and that's that's definitely one of them. Is there like a, a specific theme you like to explore when you also world build? Is it always like, do you like to stick with like God's kind of, kind of like God's interviewing with the mortal world or like what's your like go-to stuff? So I, right now, um, the world that I started doing with the Eldritch Cast podcast is probably my favorite world that I've mm -hmm. built and it's called Syndra. And for me, mostly, I actually don't particularly like the theme of the gods interfering in the mortal world. I go for more of mortal conflict uh, and political intrigue is something that I find really interesting and complex to explore for the players. Um, in my world of Syndra, uh, the gods are more passive forces than they are active players in the world. Okay. And the conflict is more centered on the different political factions in the world and then the players interact with those and you know it's completely up to them their characters and them as players mm -hmm. what side they want to choose so in my world of syndra it's about a empire that's falling apart the end of syndra is coming and you know these are just six adventures they're not going to stop the end of an empire that's been falling apart for hundreds of years 
But what mm-hmm. they can do is decide how are the pieces going to fall? How are they, who are they going to support as this world begins to collapse into itself? Um, okay. So are you going to support the rebellion? Uh, the freedom of the uh, Cordovan people? Are you going to back the Emperox and support the Imperial family as they try desperately to cling to power? Are you going to support the free-loving um, people of Wayland who worship a, whose worship of their god has been suppressed by the Empire? So, you know, these characters and players, as they investigate a world, have to decide who, who do they support or do they not support any of them? Do they just let things fall as they may and try to make the best for themselves? Uh, and so that's kind of what I like in the world is there's not one clear answer. There's not a big, bad, evil guy. Yeah. There's mm-hmm. a antagonist or multiple antagonists who are all in their own ways, the heroes of their own story. Because that's something that I, I love about uh, villains personally or antagonists is they're the heroes of their own story. They have motivations. They're doing what yeah. they want to do because they yeah. think it's right. Um, I, that's you know the best villains. You you the best villains. You can be like they, they kind of they're kind of making sense. <laughs> so I completely yeah. agree with that. Like the Joker yeah. in the Dark Knight. Like yeah. The Joker, I, I think, I, I hold up the Joker as just being like the greatest villain. He's just so, because as he talks, you're like, I, I I don't really like Batman as much as you, crazy <laughs> clown man. Exactly. It's like, because like, the Joker in the Dark Knight, there was times that I'm sitting there, I'm like, Batman, you're not, you know, he, he's making more sense than you right now. <laughs> or, you know, you got <laughs> Thanos in Infinity War, it's like, you're telling a compelling argument here. <laughs> I know. Wrong. I love Thanos. I'm yeah, a th- Thanos fan. <laughs> Thanos was not completely wrong. I was like, I, I'm sorry, Avengers, but I'm on Team Thanos here. <laughs> <laughs> so there's definitely, I completely agree with that. So I like that. Um, that that's interesting that you let them kind of pick who they're going to support and why they want to support that cause and everything, which is awesome. I said, you did post on Twitter the other day about the Ask Me Anything About My Homebrew campaign world. And I, I kind of gathered a few questions I kind of want to ask real quick. Yeah. So um, is with about the Empire's um, falling apart, besides all says that, is there any like supernatural creatures in the world? Like is it like vampires, werewolves and stuff like that? Oh yeah, I I love uh, you can't have a fantasy world without lots of monsters for at least for me. Mm-hmm. I'm a um so my the homebrew world that I'm working on in this setting is called Syndra. And Syndra takes a lot of inspiration from Witcher. I love Witcher monsters. Um, oh, so awesome, there are yeah. drowners, oh, yeah. uh lots of vampires. I'm a I love vampires. I I don't know what it is. I think Twilight got to me too young, which is like, <laughs> it's a sad thing to say because Twilight vampires are horrible. Like, like, why do they glow? Why are they sparkly? But like, ever since then, I just love vampires. They're in every one of my worlds. I always have vampires. And I try to always make vampires a little bit different than the same. Um, you know, I'm not like, I, and that's one of the reasons I wanted to run Strahd, love them. But I always try to make them less like the D. I actually don't like how D&D does vampires. Mm-hmm. Um, so in my worlds, uh, one in one world that I made, vampires were actually created by the angels. 
Uh, they were the failed experiment to make Asimar. Uh, and they ended hmm. up being uh, controlled by the angels to an extent. So the vampires aren't necessarily evil. They're actually servants of celestial creatures, uh, even hmm. though they are creatures of darkness. Uh, and in the world of Syndra, vampires are undead. They're monstrosities. Um, and I follow more of the Witcher style sense that they are... Um, there are lesser and greater vampires yeah, uh, and that they vary mm -hmm. on a scale. So you have some vampires that are, they're just, you know, they're evil incarnate. They're just going to murder and eat people. And then you have others uh, like Bruxa that are complex people, not so much as monsters, but immortal beings with their own motivations and causes yeah. Um, yeah. and stuff like that. So love, I, I do lots of supernatural creatures, always a big werewolf fan, um, always, always vampires. Um, and I love monsters just in general, you know, everything from dragons. Um, I'm not as big a demon person, though, personally. Um, it's funny you say that, because with the demons, as a first time DM, I told everyone in my campaign, I'm like, I'm trying to avoid the whole like angel demon thing, because to me, there's a whole nother power scale you have to go off of, and it's like, uh, not right now. Maybe second campaign. But first campaign, I'm dealing kind of like, there's, there's dragons, there's, there's, the big bad is a vampire, and then there's a, a, a werewolf pack that's kind of like the two big bads in the campaign. Um, and then there's also like classic monsters. So I threw in some Frankensteins and, and stuff like that. So that's what I'm doing for my first campaign. So I love that you included vampires. And someone also agrees with me that the way D and D does vampires isn't isn't the best. Um, it, they 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 make them a little rough around the edges. I think that they make them. You know, I think that they make them a little too powerful. I like that there's a in at least with Witcher monsters and mm -hmm. stuff. Um, that there's like a power scale of vampires that you can fight like a level three party could fight a lesser vampire. Yeah. So, you know, you can fight multiple types of vampires and each of them have different strengths and weaknesses. And that kind of brings in something that I love to do with monsters is I love to make them not just like you can only fight them with swords or magic, right? That they also have other weaknesses, um, you know, specific potions or specific herbs. Uh, like... Uh, something I've taken from uh, Vampire Diaries, which is a TV show, Vampires. I, I, I have a thing. I love vampires. Um, but in here. that world, <laughs> there's a herb called vervain, and yep. it is an anti-vampire property. And so I love, I do homebrew alchemist um, and herbalism rules for players to make their own potions. So, you know, if they know they're going to like fight up a vampire, right, and they can investigate, get the information in the town, they figure out, okay, this is a vampire. They're like, okay, let's go find some vervain and let's make some vervain potions so that if we drink them, the vampire can't charm us, you know? So, okay. The whole Vampire Diaries, and trust me, I've, I've seen all eight seasons of Vampire Diaries, so I'm right there with you. Irvine, Irvine's <laughs> awesome. Definitely something that's in my campaign as well. And we, we, we watch Teen Wolf, so there's some stuff, Teen Wolf stuff that we've seen in there as well. Um, oh, so yeah. it's great shows. Um, <laughs> um, that also, another question I did have was, is there any, like, major, like, sea legends like sea creatures or like uh, legend of the sea that is in your campaign um i actually have uh so this is not a maritime world um there are of course pirates and monsters you know 
uh, yeah. water dragons and krakens. But for the most part, this is not a nautical based campaign. So I've kind of stayed away from that. I actually haven't done a nautical campaign yet. And that's something that is definitely like on my DM bucket list is to do like the players have their own ship and they can name the ship and they go around with their ship doing various quests and adventures in a water based world. Uh, that is actually a world that I have on my agenda to make. Uh, it's okay. in my, like kind of my brainstorm, yeah. brainstorm area is to do like a water world, um, mostly water, all islands, and the players would be adventurers who have their own boat and they just go around in their own boat to all the different continents and the different worlds and explore that way. Um, so that's that, something I'm really interested in. That sounds pretty cool. Gives you Pirates of the Caribbean vibes to be honest. <laughs> be honest but that's um that's that sounds actually pretty dope (laughs) um do you stream your campaigns at all like do you like can we find these anywhere um so right now i'm not doing any DD podcast or DD stream it's definitely on my bucket list uh, my list to want to do well i did start a podcast called the eldritch cast we released four episodes um we ended up not being able to continue it was just too much on the editing side of things but if you do want to go listen to those four episodes uh, they were a ton of fun to make and they are on the eldritch cast but right now what i'm focused on is working on my homebrew um so i'm you can find my stuff mostly on dm's guild uh, and and on my twitter is where i'm putting out my material and Hopefully soon, uh, my goal is, you know, I've got three releases coming up this month. I've got Artificer Grenadier, which will be an ex- one explosive subclass and over 20 magic items to add into your campaigns. Um, then I'm going to do Children of the Seasons, which will be four Paladin Oaths, uh, over a dozen magic items, and some discussion about uh, Paladin Oath changing. Because I have this one player in my campaign. Her name is Abby. She's absolutely amazing. Don't tell anyone, but she's my favorite. Um, she loves paladins she's just got this thing for them I I don't she loves them and I was just thinking you know as her character developed I was just like why is your character still this oath of ancients and at one point she like breaks her oath becomes oathbreaker now's oath of redemption and it's probably going to change her oath to oath of the watchers because they're fighting this uh eldritch abomination right now um so that's kind of where I'm at as uh, as a DM, I love the ability for paladins to switch oaths. And so in that supplement, I want to talk about, you know, some rules and some discussion for how paladins should be able to change their oaths more often. You know, it shouldn't be like an every session thing, but you know, when a character, when a paladin has a significant moment, you know, they can change their oath. Um, that's, that's pretty cool, to be honest. Uh, we have a yeah. paladin in a campaign that we actually, we've been doing this one campaign called Under the Gaze of All for like the past six or seven months and it's coming yeah. to an end this Sunday and we had this paladin who's the same oath for, for the entire campaign and he's been through some been through the the works um <laughs> so it would have been cool to see to see something like that change oath oath breaker something along those lines and it's cool that you let your players explore that option because that's something that I'm not gonna lie I might throw into mind if there's a paladin one day because that's that's really interesting because you know, yeah. the, um, especially with the paladins, how do you handle if they break their oath? Because I know the DMs kind of control what happens if they break the oath. So, I mean, as a as a DM, you know, most of the players when you're playing a paladin, you know, most of the oaths aren't that hard to keep. 
personal like i don't think they're that hard to keep yeah um and it's mostly a role play thing if a if a character like deliberately breaks their oath maybe they become an oath breaker or maybe they need to take a new oath you know um instead of being perhaps say an oath of ancients maybe they decide that this kingdom isn't worth saving you know or maybe or sorry maybe their oath of crown and then they decide maybe this kingdom isn't worth saving after all maybe it's worth letting it burn to the ground and seeing if a new kingdom, it can a better kingdom can rise from its ashes. So maybe they'll take something like my homebrewed oath of storms, which one of the tenets is that uh, all civilizations end, um, and so something like that. You know, it's not always That's... just like they need to immediately become oath breaker because they break their oath, but they can maybe change their oath, or maybe that oath isn't just right for them anymore. So that's something that I really want to explore in this Children of the Season supplement is because it's a seasonal based oath. You know, it's an oath that, you know, all of the oaths are interconnected and they could all change. Maybe you go from spring and then something tragic happens to your character. And so you take the oath of fall um, or something along those lines. Yeah, that's yeah, that's a really cool idea. 100%. I like that. I like that idea a lot. Um Another, I had a few more questions. I apologize. I kind of had to find them. In no, my notes. Totally I'm trying to fine. trying to sort them out through my um D and D notes as well. Um, with we've been quarantined for what seems to be forever nowadays. Oh but uh, did the quarantine allow you to do more of D and D, or did it kind of kind of and begin restrict you? Give me one second. My son walked in, but uh, <laughs> no, it's okay. He's adorable. He walked away. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> um, but uh, with the quarantine, how did your D and D experience change with the quarantine? So I would say that quarantine was definitely a. It gave me more time for D and D. So in the sense that I had more time to actually start the podcast the eldritch yeah. cast and get that off the ground i mean that was a multi-month project and you know it ended up not working out editing was just too much for mm -hmm. us but mm -hmm. i got to get that off the ground and get that experience and i know that if i ever do a podcast again i've really got the tools i know the kind of team i need around me to build the podcast hey, up come on. i know the work that needs to be done um and so in that sense it gave me more time but I definitely like in-person D&D more than I like role, uh, online D&D, but I still yeah. use Roll20 in person, okay. um, actually. I, I everybody like brings their computers. To use. Yeah. Yeah, me I, and... Oh, I, I'm sorry, you can go. No, no, you go ahead. <laughs> oh, well, I had an idea because um, I don't have many... When I DM, I don't have many uh, map drawing uh, tools. I lost a lot of it. So what I use is I have a projector and I could use roll 20. I can project it on like the wall or something. I have characters I moving around that way. And it makes it a little bit easier and neater for me to at least uh, keep the campaign moving at a good mm -hmm. pace. Definitely. I really agree with that. I think that having that, not having to draw the map physically and being able to use yeah. like effectively utilize, there's so many great map resources out there. Uh, oh, yeah. I'm a patron um, I like ending uh, like map uh, and map and quest on Twitter. His maps are amazing. He makes massive maps, which is perfect yeah. for me because I love massive battles. Um, oh, yeah. And so being able to utilize all those resources on Twitter, like more effectively and on 
uh, Pinterest and online for online maps, it really cuts down on your prep time and just being able to yeah. like import into roll 20 and resize. I mean, mm -hmm. it takes me like a minute and then I've got a cool battle map ready for the session. And if I really need like something unique, maybe I'll make it an incarnate or maybe I'll make it like, just like draw on roll 20. But most of the time I can find something that will help cut down on my prep time. So, yeah. Yeah, no, I, <laughs> 100 percent i use i i kind of like use pin i use pinterest as well i use google as well kind of like see um i need a castle i'm not going to draw a castle let's see what pinterest or, or google has for me and all my maps that i found have come from pinterest or patreon as well so my prep time <laughs> is only prepping the session for my dm notes um, what I have the biggest issue with, and maybe it's because of lack of experience, is when they go to the magic store or they go to like the, the blacksmith and stuff, it's like, oh, I'm looking for this kind of item and this stuff like that. How do you handle that stuff? So I love magic items. I'm a big, big fan of them. And that's one of my favorite things to homebrew, actually, other than subclasses is magic items. And so what I usually do is I try to tailor magic items to the players that I have. I try to make sure that when they go into the shop, there's things that they're interested in and that they actually want to buy and use. Mm -hmm. So I think about like what can augment their characters. So I think, you know, what's missing from their characters. So for example, one of my paladins, um, uh, this is my, my my player, Abby, her paladin. She doesn't have any AoE. So I homebrewed her a, a circlet that let her cast Moonbeam. You know, not a super powerful AoE, but definitely flavorful and fit at the time her Oath of Ancients character. Um, yeah. Very much in her vibe. So then I, I put that as an option for her to buy. And I she bought it. Um, most of the time, I try to do a variety of items, but I try to look for what would be good for my players so they actually don't, they actually will use them and i homebrew the vast majority of my items because i want them to be specifically tailored to the players and specifically tailored to the power level of the campaign that i want to run uh, sometimes i use items in the book uh, especially potions i use basically all book potions um, but most of the time it's just building items that can help fit your characters so for example i had a rogue and so i gave him a ring that once a day they could get advantage on an attack and if they hit with the attack it dealt an extra d6 damage so if they were like in a scenario where they didn't have sneak attack for some reason they could use this really cool advantage ring and then get sneak attack too so that's kind of where i focus on is where what can i give to like help augment some of my players and then basically sell them those magic items um and it's important not to get not to give them like too many choices you don't want to spend like forever in the magic shop with them yeah. but just maybe have like the yeah. shopkeeper show them a couple items maybe one or two some that could fit if you can find like a bridge maybe you've got a paladin and a cleric you can find an item that maybe both of them would like uh and you can like use that and maybe create one or two items that each of them would want and then let them decide based on how much money you have um Another experience that I did is at my at the point of my current homebrew campaign, they're level nine. Um, they're basically like the some of the strongest people in the entire world now. They're probably like in the top 25 heroes in the world at this point. Yeah. Um, okay. So at this point, I kind of just hand waved money and <laughs> they got they went to I called him Scar Scales Imperial Armaments. He's a silver dragonborn and he's a very old and makes very powerful weapons. And I gave them a point system. 
So basically I had a bunch of magic items I gave and they had a point value assigned to them, like one point, two points, half a point, et cetera. And then they each got five points. They walk into the shop, they've got five points and that's what they can spend. So no money, no anything like that. Just like, these are your points. This is how much you can get here. And this is how much all of the items cost. And then another thing I did was I did like augmentations for armor. So I am a very stingy DM when it comes to magic armor. And I firmly believe that like a plus one shield is better than a plus two sword because of how like D&D power scaling works. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, so <clears throat> this is the first time they like got magic armor. They're so excited. But I did it in the way that they could get like different augmentations to their armor. Like they could spend two points and get a plus one to their armor. They could get spend one point and be able to cast Misty Step once a day for their armor. Or they could spend two points and get to cast Zephyr Strike once a day. So stuff like that, um, where I just made it a point value instead of a gold value and then gave them a set amount of points. Uh, really allowed them to explore and customize their armor. So they all walked out with like, oh man, I've got this really cool magic armor that like I chose what I wanted for it. It's exactly what I want. So I feel like in the beginning, you don't want to give your players too many choices. And then when you do give them choices, it doesn't have to always be different magic items. You can do it. So like you're the magic item might have slightly different properties depending on what they want. So those are, those are two ways that I approach the magic shop, kind of my, my two approaches. That's better than how I've been approaching. I've been rolling a <laughs> D100 and whatever it lands on, I go into the book, I'm like, that's it. <laughs> and so there's, there, last night, uh, I did a session and I was like, I rolled a D100, it rolled on, it was, I forgot the, what item it was, but I was like, they're level six, they can't get this. <laughs> <laughs> so that's a better approach than how I've been doing it. So that's something... I would like to incorporate into mine. Um, I did just get to notice that we just did hit about 35 minutes into this. So what we like to do here towards the end of the camp, uh, not the campaign, the podcast is we like to give our guests the last five to 10 minutes to kind of just plug what you're doing. If you have any new campaigns coming up, the home brews that you've been doing. So what, what what's coming up next for you? So we talked about Artificer Grenadier and Children of the Seasons, but my next big release is, and what I'm going to think is going to be like a, a really large release, is going to be uh, Finding Familiar. It's going to be an expansion for the Find Familiar spell that includes rules for befriending and evolving over a dozen new adorable familiars. I've got awesome art from uh, at a very tired Siza on Twitter. She's doing all my art for me and it's going to be really great. I'm really excited. Find Familiar is one of my favorite spells in D&D, but I often feel like, especially, you know, my players have gotten to like level nine, level 10, and I'm like, they've got an owl or they've got a raven, (laughs) you know, it dies to a single fireball and (laughs) can't help them in any other way. So I'm building this expansion to basically augment your familiar. So you, as you grow as a character and as, and as a player, your familiar grows along with you. The DM can basically Pokemon style evolve your familiar. So you could go from cat to horned cat or owl cat, or you could go from a micro owl bear to a mini owl bear, you know, uh, growing as they grow along with you. Um, yeah. Also, That's there'll be cool. dog familiars because uh, for some reason, Jeremy Crawford hates dogs. 
uh, because the only dog people are gnolls and he made them super, super evil. And there's no dog people race and there's no dog familiar. So it's official. Jeremy Crawford hates dogs, but I don't. So you will, there'll be dog familiar options. As you can see, there's a pug picture in my background. We <laughs> love dogs around here. I have five of my own. So dog familiars, <laughs> dog familiars, dog, dog, dog races that they're not evil. Men's best friend. Yeah, so uh, exactly. that's going to be what's going to be in Find Familiar, an expansion of the Find Familiar spell, rules for befriending and evolving, and a lot of cute familiars. I mean, some of the art that Etsiza has done is just so cute. I'm just like, I love them already. I just want them to be my happy little companions. Exactly. <laughs> I'm super excited to see all, of, all your releases. Like I said, I've been following you on Twitter for... Um, almost two months i believe and we've interacted a little bit here and there and it's always been pleasant and i'm excited i really appreciate that i'm excited to see what you do next is some of these stuff i'm going to probably end up incorporating into my own campaign uh well that's the that's like the greatest honor uh, anyone creating D content can ask for is for people to use it you know i often have people ask you know can i use this in my campaign i'm like i didn't just make it because it looks pretty i made it for you to use you know for people to use and enjoy because that's the great thing about DD and why i think it's one of the best mediums for telling stories is that it's infinitely customizable and it's about you creating an adventure and a world alongside your players yeah. and there's no other medium for telling stories like it yeah. no this, this is really not so thank you once again for coming on and yeah i really was, appreciate it it is absolutely a ton of fun to talk to both of you uh, it was more yes. fun for us <laughs> we got, we got, yeah. got to you know like i said a new dm and i've been talking about it to my co-host richie for almost since I announced you were coming on, I was like, I'm super excited to, to pick your brain about DMing and stuff because I'm a newer DM and you g gave me a lot of helpful insight and stuff to be doing. And I'm super excited to incorporate all this stuff. Well, thank you so much for having me on the show. And for any of the listeners, you guys can follow me on Twitter at NeverNotDM uh, because I'm, as, I'm a forever DM. Yes. <laughs> <laughs> I, think what, I, I actually think that once you get bit by the DM, uh, once you DM, you get bit by the DM bug and you just never go back. <laughs> <laughs> that's true. That's true. <laughs> but we are, we do have to unfortunately end it now. So we, we appreciate you and tell all the listeners, thank you guys. And this episode will be out by the end of today. All right. Thank you guys so much for having me on. I really appreciate it. Anytime. Thank you. Anytime. Bye. Bye. Bye.